0: You see, I learned that the game's not over till it's over. And it's a good thing because we need to realize that in life, as long as we have breath, it's not over. You see, you may think that your failures or your past has taken you out of the game. But I'm here to tell you that because of Jesus Christ, it's not over for you. You can rise above your past. You can climb out of your current struggle and you can reset your life to one that's filled with faith and hope in your future.
1: Welcome to On the Bright Side with Bobby Bollinger, entrepreneur, business owner, and spiritual life coach. Bobby and his brother Glenn own Alliance Sports Group, a collection of hardware and sports product lines, including Nebo tools and flashlights, sold in over 40,000 retail stores across America. Bobby would like your feedback. As a spiritual life coach, how can he help you? questions comments prayers Bobby reads every email and personally responds to most of them Bobby at onthebrightside.org. now get ready for on the bright side with Bobby I thought y'all
0: might enjoy this listen to this a young women a young woman went to her pastor and said pastor I feel like I'm committing a sin I come to church every, each Sunday and I can't help thinking I'm the prettiest girl in the congregation I know I shouldn't think that, but I just can't help it. Can you help me? The pastor replied, well, Shirley, don't worry about it. In your case, it's not a sin. It's just a horrible mistake. (laughs) I saved that one. I saved that one. You know what? I, I want to be, be an encouragement this morning. And I want you to know that I, I want to tell you this. I believe in an old saying that, you've, that we've all heard. It's not over till it's over. And I want you to know that it doesn't have anything to do with a fat lady singing. But to explain why I believe this so much, I'll have to take you back to high school. It was the most important basketball game of my life up to that point. We were against our arch enemy, our bitter rivals, across town. And it, the rivalry had lasted for decades. The Coliseum was packed and it's so noisy you could barely hear yourself think. And with 10 seconds left in the game, we were one point behind. And our coach calls a timeout. And in the huddle on the sideline, the coach looks at me and he says, Okay, Bob, this is your time. We've trained about this. We've trained for this. Now go out and do what you... No to do, And then he called a play that allowed me to take the last shot. Now, like every boy, I had fantasized about this very moment a thousand times in my driveway, dribbling down court, making some fancy move, and hitting the winning shot. But as the crowd counted, counted down the last ten seconds, I made my way down court, I made my move, and I took the shot. And as soon as the ball left my hand, I knew it was good. And as it switched through the net, the place erupted. And I was so excited that I started celebrating and jumping up and down. And I was not realizing that there was three more seconds left on the clock. Well, the opposing player, an alert one I might add, took the ball out of bounds and threw a pass about half court. And there I watched in complete shock as a desperation shot miraculously went in. The game was over and we lost. You see, I learned that the game's not over till it's over. And it's a good thing because we need to realize that in life, as long as we have breath, it's not over. You see, you may think that your failures or your past has taken you out of the game. But I'm here to tell you that because of Jesus Christ, it's not over for you. You can rise above your past. You can climb out of your current struggle and you can reset your life to one that's filled with faith and hope in your future. The word says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that means you are not only not alone in your failures, but that everyone deals with failure. Even the great fathers of our faith dealt with failure. And even though their accomplishments overshadow their failures and shortcomings, they had them. Nonetheless, did you know that Jacob was a liar? Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Rahab was a prostitute. Elijah was suicidal. Jonah ran from God. Peter denied denied Christ. And the most startling one was David, a man after God's own heart committed adultery, and had a man killed. You see, when these great men and women failed, they failed greatly. And in each case, God didn't didn't give up on them. He brought them through their failure, and he gave them a chance to rise above it and accomplish great things for the kingdom of God. You know, our own nature reveals our shortcomings, and the enemy pounces on our every failure and tries to magnify them to discourage us from trying again. But I want you to be encouraged today because God hasn't given up on you. And he knows your heart. And no matter what you've done, and no matter how you've failed, through Jesus Christ, you can reconnect today and rise above your failure and find peace and victory in Jesus name.
1: Tune in to learn how to have an abundant life focused on God and his purpose for you. On the Bright Side, we'll be right back. And now back to On the Bright Side as Bobby Bollinger shares his unique layman's perspective as viewed through his
0: lifelong journey of faith. Well, I want you to know I saw something very interesting this week because with everything going on in the world right now, I couldn't believe what was on the cover of Time magazine. Check this out. Can the car see this? It says there, Does God Want You to Be Rich? Now, you you would think the cover this week could be something about the Israeli-Lebanon conflict or the latest developments in Iraq or even Katie Couric's new job. (laughs) But apparently, the thing the world wants to know more than anything is does God want you to be rich? Well, the first thing I think we need to understand about... This and this is usually the case with any national magazine, is that the motivation behind this story is more about selling magazines than it is about answering that question. And the, and the second thing we need to uh, get before we delve into this question is that the word rich is a relative term. Because no matter how you measure what makes someone rich... By global standards, virtually everyone in here today, by nature of having a roof over their head, a bed to sleep in, and food to eat, is considered rich. Okay, stay with me. So now back to this question, does God want you to be rich? The article in Time is about the growing movement of prosperity teaching. ...from people like Joel Osteen or Creflo Dollar and others... ...and how the mainstream Protestant leadership refutes the teaching. And in the article they share a survey... ...that reveals that 61% of all Christians... ...believe that God wants them to be prosperous. Well, it occurred to me, having read this... ...that I've spoken to you several times lately... ...about having a prosperity mentality... And so when I read this, I realize that it's easy to take what I say and lump it in with all these guys who who I believe take the prosperity message to an unhealthy extreme. And it's important that we take this subject more serious because it's easy to get off tracks, get off the track where money is concerned. My my old high school coach, he used to say whenever I'd get out of line, he'd say, Bollinger, you need to get your mind right. So I think that we need to get our minds right about this question. Does God want you to be rich? I believe that we we have to first acknowledge that we don't know everything that God has on His mind. He has infinite wisdom and knowledge. And there's much mystery about God, yet unknown to us. But what we can do is look to His Word to find out about the subject of riches. So here's what we do know. We know that Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. And we know that the word says, And you shall remember the Lord thy God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. And we know that when we give, we tap into a God principle. As noted in Malachi, that I've quoted you many times, where it says, I'll open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing... So great, you can't receive it all. And another one in Luke where it says, Give, and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And we know that the book of Proverbs, it invokes much wisdom on managing your life and your money in order to prosper. And we know that the psalmist said, Let the Lord be magnified, who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant." So we do have solid evidence that God is not against riches. And like an earthly father who knows he must teach his child to have discipline. And to endure hardships in order to grow and to mature. He still gets pleasure when we succeed. And he enjoys seeing us reap the benefits of success. But, if we're to build our belief system about money on the the word of God then we also have to heed all the warnings about riches provided by the Word. And through the Word, we also know some things. We know that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The Word says, it says, some people, in the same scripture, some people eager for money have wandered from their faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And we know that no one can serve two masters, Either he'll hate the one or he'll love the other. The Word says you can't serve God and money. And we know that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle... ...than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And we know that the Lord said, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So you see, just like we have support from the Word that God is okay with our prosperity... We also have plenty of evidence that having riches brings with it some of the greatest challenges for a Christian to overcome. So where does that leave us with this question? Does God want you to be rich? Well, we know God doesn't condemn anyone for having riches. Because it can come from many sources like working hard, or like working smart, or even inheritance. But he does give grave warnings to those who seek after riches more than God and who trust in riches more than God. And his desire for us and his test for us is to set our hearts on things above and not on things of this earth. There's an old saying that he who has little and wants less is richer than he who has much and wants more. Does God want you to be rich? Yes. But not necessarily now. We do know He wants you to be rich in spirit. Overflowing with joy in the hope of tomorrow with Jesus Christ. We know He wants you to have a heart filled with gratitude and expectations for an abundant life. An abundant life that may or may not include earthly riches. Because God would rather you be focused on Him and His purpose for you than concerned about your financial status. Does God want you to be rich? Does God want you to be rich? Of course He does. He wants you to have everything. And that's why He's prepared a place for us that is so gloriously rich we can't even comprehend it. Whatever we could accumulate in this world is not even an afterthought by comparison. As a child of God, saved by grace, we're all going to be rich. It's just a matter of time. You see, there's no shacks in heaven. But there are lots of mansions. Did you know that the
1: subject of the heart is addressed in the Bible more than any other topic? Coming up next, learn how your heart shapes and defines your life. On the Bright Side, we'll be right back. We hope you're enjoying Bobby Bollinger's unique layman's perspective as viewed through
0: his lifelong journey of faith on the bright side. See if this this story sounds like you. This is a story about a Texan who was getting frustrated while driving aimlessly through a mall parking lot unable to find a spot. Finally he said, Lord, help me. If you'll find me a parking spot, I promise to go to church every Sunday And to pay my tithes, all of a sudden, there it was, an empty space right up front. And the Texan said, never mind, Lord, I found one. (laughs) You think we might do that sometimes? Now, just think about that. I want to talk about the heart for just a minute. You know, we've all heard the phrase, take heart. Or sometimes when we're going through a tough time, someone will say, don't lose heart. And we always take these words as encouragement. But the truth is, if our spiritual life is about anything, it's about the heart. You know, God gave us the greatest treasure in all of creation when he gave us a heart. And I'm not talking about just a muscle organ in your chest. All the happiness that we've ever known or ever hoped to know. It's unreachable without a heart. And you know, the, the subject of the heart is addressed in the Bible more than any other topic, more than faith, more than obedience. And I've told you many times how 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 frequently money is mentioned in the Bible, but it's. The heart is talked about more than money. And when reading the word, it doesn't take long to realize that the heart is the central thing. If you want some examples, it's really just where do you start. The word says, love the Lord with your God, with all your heart and all your soul and with all your strength. Jesus called this the great commandment. And notice it said, Love with all your heart first. The Word of God sees the heart as the source of our creativity, our courage, and our conviction. It's the source of our faith and our hope, and it's certainly the source of our ability to love. And I know that there's this popular belief that our our mind, our brain, is meant for reason, and our heart is for emotions. How many of us have always heard that? I mean, we get accused of thinking with our heart instead of our head. Or we get accused of thinking with our head instead of our heart. Isn't that right? I believe the word tells us that that's very flawed thinking. You remember that King Solomon was considered the wisest man who ever lived. But when God invited him to ask for anything in the world, Solomon didn't ask for the biggest brain. He didn't ask to be the smartest man. What he asked for was a wise and discerning heart. The word also says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. He's telling us that our ability to trust comes from our heart, not from our mind. And I think the book of Proverbs is way ahead of Dr. Freud on the subject of character development by about 2,000 years. In Proverbs it says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You know, Jesus explained that the Pharisees were great rule keepers of the law. But their motives were wrong. They were model citizens and their actions were great. But their heart was in the wrong place. And Jesus said, we've got to do better than that. I wonder sometimes if we really grasp what a priceless thing it is. To have a heart. It's God's gift. It's what makes us different. And it makes us able to do what writer John Eldredge calls. Become intimate allies with God. And it's the condition of our heart. That shapes. And defines our lives. So whatever you do this morning. Don't lose heart. But It is. All about heart. The Lord said, I will give them a heart to know me. That I am their Lord. And they will be my people. And I will be their God. For they will return to me with all of their heart.